absolutely crazy, right? 110 floors, 200 feet uh, uh, between one another, and a little wire. When Pastor Eric said that he wanted to use this as a backdrop to talk about calling in life, um, I hadn't seen the documentary for a while, so I went back and, and watched it and was reminded and watch, looking it through a, a lens, a, a more spiritual lens, and just how many lessons about uh, calling and, and doing what quite possibly could be viewed as the impossible. And weighing that against my own belief that each and I believe each and every one of us as, as called uh, women and men have each been given a unique calling. And that unique calling is not always obvious. It is not always present. But there are moments in our life that we choose to rise to that or ignore that. Several years ago... Um, probably going back about 18 years ago, I was sitting in an office with um, Pastor Brian, who's the pastor of, of uh, Crossroads Church in Cincinnati. Uh, it's, it actually is the church that Evan and Suzanne Matthews uh, uh, currently attend. And I was talking with Pastor Brian, and he asked me this question. Mark, what is your BHAG? Now, I have a choleric personality, and I don't know if you know much about cholerics, but cholerics like to think that they always have the answer. Uh, we kind of pride ourselves in, in that and having direction and, and thinking things through. So I started thinking BHAG, BHAG, BHAG. Pastor Brian, I have no idea what a BHAG is. <laughs> and he said, Mark, what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? What is your BHAG? And I took a step back and, and I had goals and I, I, had, I had different things, but a BHAG uh, in my conversation with him rose to something different. In fact, I was thinking about what a BHAG truly is, and pursuing a BHAG is not only accepting that failure is an option, but it is most likely. That a BHAG isn't, you know... I hope that, that I'll be able to get an A on a, on a test. Because if you study and you get in a study group and things like that, it's achievable. A BHAG is more like without telling anybody uh, with, uh, uh, in authority that we are going to sneak into one of the Twin Towers and get a cable across to the other tower and I am going to walk across it. Big. Hairy, audacious goal. Where failure not only was an option, but it was likely. It is at every BHAG, 
there is an inception of a BHAG. And it can, it can happen in different ways, but I think a lot of times the inception point of a BHAG could very easily be dismissed. We saw it with Moses. He was walking through the wilderness and, and he saw a burning bush. The burning bush wasn't talking. The burning bush wasn't doing anything supernatural. It was burning. And Scripture tells us that he noticed something unusual about it. So he went and investigated. And that led to, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, let my people go and all that, and all that good stuff. He had his BHAG moment where he's all like, eh, burning bush in the desert. So what? But he chose to notice it. King David, before he was king, before he was a giant slayer, he had his BHAG moment when the nation of Israel was, was not trying to pay attention to the ridicule that the Philistines were parading out in front of them every single day. And he had his BHAG moment where he could have dismissed it. I'm just a shepherd. I, 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 I'm just bringing food for my brothers. It's not my responsibility. But he had his BHAG moment, his big, hairy, audacious goal that me as a shepherd boy with five little shiny stones, I am going to walk out and face the giant. And Philippe, our man on a wire, had his BHAG moment when he was 17 years old in a dentist's office. And we have a clip for you to watch. Here I am, young, 17 years old, with a bad tooth in one of those umpolopul uh, waiting room of a French dentist. And uh, it's, it's really lit with a little 40 watt bug. And you have all ladies and people, you know, sheepishly looking at magazines, quiet. And suddenly, I freeze. Because I have opened a newspaper at a page, and I see something magnificent, something that inspires me. I see two towers. And the article says, one day, those towers will be built. They're not even there yet. And when they are, they will become the highest in the world. Now I need to have that, this little tangible uh, start of my dream. But everybody is watching, and, but I need that page. And so what I do is, under the cover of his eyes, I see the page, I put it under my jacket, and go out. Now, of course, I would have a toothache for a week. But what's the pain in comparison that now I have acquired my dream? Usually when you have... Now, how easy would it have been for him just to keep on flipping and say that that's interesting? How many of you, if you were sitting in that dentist office and looking through the magazine and then saw the picture of the Twin Towers, the concept of the Twin Towers that were dwarfing the Eiffel Tower, would have thought, I'm going to draw a little line between those, and I'm, I'm, going to walk across, I'm going to walk from one to the other without a, type, without a net, without, without a harness or anything like that. None of us. 
In fact, I can probably guarantee you, you could probably see that same magazine today and would not think, I'm going to do that. I, that. That seems like something that I should do. And this is one of the things about BHAGs. They're all different and they're all unique. You see, he loved to climb. He loved to do things outrageous. He, he was, a, was a performer. And when he saw that, he made the connection, said, that is it. That is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. When Moses heard God tell him to take his, his sandals off because he was on holy ground and said, you know what? I'm sending you. Yes, he was scared, but he went. When David saw the giant, when everybody else saw a giant, he saw the opportunity for God to be praised. When Philippe saw the Twin Towers, he didn't see two massive buildings. He saw two anchors and a walk between the two. That was his BHAG. And throughout this series that my hope is that when your BHAG moment happens, that you will have the baseline and the courage to be able to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. In the movie, they asked him, Weren't you afraid you were going to fail? Weren't you afraid that you were going to die? And Philippe said this, Yes, and what a beautiful death it would have been. That's a BHAG. Where you say, you know what? I cannot do anything else except this. That this is what I have been called to do. BHAGs are not easy. BHAGs a lot of times don't make any sense. BHAGs are unique to you and your, and your unique makeup and view. BHAGs are the defining moment in your life. And for us who are followers of Christ, this is a big deal because I believe that each and every one of us have uniquely been created to bring the gospel story into a place that it has not been reached to glorify God where God is not being glorified. that you are able to speak into or do something or change the trajectory of history because of how God has knit you together in your mother's womb. I believe that to the core of my being. So what I hope this series is going to do is going to prepare you for your BHAG moment for your burning bush, for your giant, for your twin towers. For you to be able to stand in front of your BHAG and say, you know what? Failure is not only 
an option, but it is likely. But what a beautiful failure it will be. To be in a place where you are 100% reliant that the supernatural power of God will intervene and you will experience a miracle. Throughout this series, we're going to be following along in a story of a guy named Nehemiah. And he has his personal memoirs in the Bible under something called Nehemiah. Not a very creative title, but that wasn't his BHAG. His BHAG was this. The birth of his BHAG was this, starting in chapter 1. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Now, you might think, burying the cup. Well, he not only bared the cup, but he also, it was his job to taste the king's food and to sip the king's wine. You're like, sounds like a good gig, until you realize that people are trying to kill and poison the king, and your job is essentially to drink it, and if you don't die, then the king can eat. And that's your role in life. That you, that's what you do. Not really a, in, the, in the scheme of things. You know, they don't ask you what you think. They don't ask you about your experiences, or they don't ask you how you feel about it. It's one of those jobs that you have one task to do, and you do it. Here, drink this. How do you feel? Not that I care how you feel. Do you feel like you're going to die? You feel ill, anything like that. That is his job. He lives in Persia, and his king is a king named King Artaxerxes, who is the uh, descendant of Xerxes. You ever see 300, the giant with the rings? Nothing like that. But he's the descendant, and he is now king. And for the past 90 years, one thing that was unique about the Persian Empire is they would allow people to remain their faith. And 90 years earlier, uh, Xerxes has allowed the Jews to start coming back to Jerusalem. And now 90 years later, People are inhabiting Jerusalem, and some of them came back, including, uh, including Nehemiah's brother with some other guys, and he asked them a question. Hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? This is the promised land. This is the holy city. How is it going? And this is what his brother says. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And it's interesting what happens next. And this is our first kind of lesson from Nehemiah that we learn about experiencing our BHAG moment. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept 
In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. And I think in verse 4 here that it gives us five things, five things. steps or, or key elements of really experiencing or, or identifying our BHAG. Number one, when he heard this devastating news, when he heard about this thing that is undone, that he sat down. Number one, he sat down. What this is basically communicating is he sat down and he was still. He didn't dance. He didn't go for a jog. He didn't do anything except stopped, and he sat. The next thing that that happened was he wept. He, He allowed the information to break his heart. He heard about the disarray of leadership and the walls being broken down and that the holy city and thus the the Israelites were in disgrace. And the thought that, you know what? God's holy people are once again being laughed at. And it broke his heart. The next thing he did was he mourned. He mourned for days. I think this is so counterintuitive for us. How often do we get bad news or something that that breaks our heart? And what's the first thing we try to do? Distract ourselves. We don't sit, we don't weep about it, and we definitely don't mourn. And mourning has this kind of uh, uh, idea that's carried along with it that you are allowing the full weight of the situation to collapse on you. And he mourned for the condition of God's people. The next thing he did was he fasted. Now, fasting is is a kind of a bizarre thing for us in the 21st century. That that fasting, I believe fasting is one of those, those spiritual tools that we use when there is no other option on the table. That that when we are completely powerless and we are completely reliant on God to intervene is when we fast. I don't fast all the time. I know some people do, but for me, it's a very rare thing. I've only done it two, three times in my life. The first time I ever did it was um, 14 years ago. Shannon, my wife, was pregnant with uh, our son, Eric Boo, we call him. And we went in for our, our checkup and, and everything, and, and uh, the doctor said that we needed to go in for genetic counseling. We're like, genetic counseling, what, what is that? So they take us into this little room with pictures on the wall of all sorts of horrible things. And they give us this little book and they said, look through this book. 
So we started looking through this book, and uh, they had told us that the test results came back that that the baby being grown inside of of Shannon um, that there was going there's something wrong, and they wanted us to go through this book to see what the things that were possibly wrong. And we started looking through this book, and there was horrific things in there like spina bifida, and there was these pictures of uh, babies being born without brains and things like that. And we were going through this in, as a young couple, really completely unprepared for this. Um, eventually, somebody comes in with a, with a clipboard and says, well, we're recommending abortion. Or at the very least, to do some of these follow-up tests that would put the, the baby in jeopardy. Well, Shannon and I said, well, we're not going to do the test because we don't want to put the baby into jeopardy and uh, abortion is for us is not on the table. So they made us fill out forms that we were informed that our little, uh, little boy is probably going to have spina bifida at the best if you don't know what that is, essentially the spine being grown outside the skin uh, or at worst born without a brain. So I remember coming home and just feeling powerless. And for the first time in my life, I, I fasted because I had nothing else that I could do. And during that fasting time, it taught me that that, that fasting is a, a powerful tool for those who are powerless. It kept me focused and in praying for my wife and for my son and for our family. So, and I believe that when my son was born, I remember it was so tense and um, popped out or whatever the medical term is for that. <laughs> he arrived and I remember they like start looking at him and everything, and and they said, you know what, you have a um, perfectly normal, you know, uh, little boy, no spina bifida, and you know his his brain is in there. He he lo he he technically lost it when he became an adolescent, but. Uh, we're hoping it's going to come back. Um, but as far as, you know, at least, you know, in the parameters of the McNeese family, he's quite normal. Um, and I believe to this day that, that, that we, our family and I experienced a miracle. And part of that miracle was the act of complete surrender to God saying, God, I am powerless, but you are not. And then the last thing that he, he did was he prayed and had a conversation with God. And I think that this next thing is his prayer is so important in us trying to discover our BHAG, to us following through with our BHAG. Verse 5, he cries out to the Lord, Lord, O oh Lord, God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I had chosen for my name to be honored. That is Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem thousands of years ago. It is Jerusalem today. Verse 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayers. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in, my, in his heart to be kind to me. And basically what we're seeing here is a, uh, just the story being condensed over a long period of time and this prayer being condensed into uh, what he had been praying. But through his prayers that Nehemiah had decided as the cupbearer that he was in a unique position to be able to speak to the king. Not that the king cared what he thought, not that the king had big conversations with him. He had access, much like Esther did. And he decided he was going to ask King Artaxerxes to give him and empower him to grab on to his BHAG. And his prayer is very specific in what our prayers, I believe, when we are leading up to a BHAG should look like. And his pattern of prayer is very similar to the Lord's prayer when he taught the disciples how they should pray. Number one in his prayer is he praised God. He said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And when we pray so often, pray so often we skip this. We do not acknowledge that, that Jesus is not only our Savior, is not only our friend, but Jesus is our Lord and King, sustainer and creator of all things. And even though you're friends with the King, He's still the King. And He should be acknowledged as that. So praise, acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. Number two, give thanksgiving. Nehemiah said, hey, you are the God who keeps your covenant with unfailing love to those who obey your commandments. This idea of, you know what? God is not a cosmic vending machine where you go up and you, you, know, you put your tithe in and you get your blessings out. That is not biblical prayer. That you approach the king and you thank God and recognize God for what he has given you. And number three, which is really hard to do, is repentance. 
saying, God, you know what? Well, Nehemiah said this, I confess that we as the nation has sinned and my family has sinned and I have sinned and we have not obeyed your commandments. That we recognize that we are in this place because of ourselves and repent for our sins. And then number four, be specific. So often we are vague with our prayers. My son growing up, and we tried to break him of this, he would always pray, God, please not let anything too bad happen. Okay. What's that mean? What's not too bad? I mean, just this, this kind of like, how do you know if God inter- supernaturally intervened and made something not too bad happen? Right? To be specific. In Nehemiah's case, he said, grant me success today with the king. When we're facing our BHAG, saying, God, we want you to supernaturally intervene here. With my son, when he was in Shannon's womb, say, God, the doctors and the tests say that my son is broken. And we'll love him no matter how you deliver him to us. But we don't, we pray specifically that our son will be born whole and healthy. That was a specific. And when he popped out, right? That, that, and they said, we knew, I knew instantly that God had supernaturally intervened and made my son whole. And then finally, a commitment. A commitment that we are going to act on that thing, on that burning bush, on, on, on the, uh, to walk out on the field to face the giant, to stand in front of those like Stephen did with holding stones to proclaim Jesus Christ as they're throwing the rocks. Again, a BHAG not only has failure as an option, but it is likely. I want to conclude with this quote from Philippe, our wire walker our man on a wire. And he's talking about the point. And I want you to try to visualize this. Somebody had to leave in the first gathering because of this. Imagine standing on the 110th floor. Not even the 110th floor. On the roof of the 110th floor. And 200 feet away, is another tower of equal height. And the wind 
is blowing and the clouds are beneath you. And you walk up to this wire between the two of almost a football field across. It's swaying. And this is what he says. I leave the balancing pole. I approach the edge and step over the beam. My left foot is on the cable. The weight of my body raises on my right leg, anchored to the flank of the building. Shall I ever so slightly shift my weight to the left? My right leg will be unburdened. My right foot will freely meet the wire. An inner howl assails me, you think? The wild longing to flee, but it is too late. The wire is waiting decisively. My other foot sets itself onto the cable. And then this last line. Faith is what replaces doubt in my dictionary. Your big, hairy, audacious goal, your BHAG moment is that, is that moment where you step over the beam and onto the wire and you shift your weight from the known and the security into the unknown. And you are committed. It is the moment where faith replaces doubt. You guys pray with me.